so good to be with you. If we haven't met, my name is Blake Sherman, and I grew up at this church. I, I started coming here in the seventh grade. Um, I was a punk filling out fake visitor cards in the back. Um, I was discipled here and then um, went to Baylor, and actually Art was my roommate for all four years. And uh, so went to Baylor and then uh, worked on the youth staff, worked on the worked for college, did young adults. I was here for about 11 years doing ministry, and I've just been so blessed um, by this church. And now my family and I, we live in England. We've been there for almost two years. And um, really, when we got here about a little over a week ago, I took a walk in the morning to just go pray. So it was only like 102 degrees out. And so... <laughs> So I went for a walk to go pray, and I came up here, because my parents live nearby, and I came up here, and I used to walk a lot around the church and pray when I was on staff, and I came to um, a rock just behind me here in those trees, and I remember praying about going to England. Um, I remember so many things that I dealt with with God, and I was just kind of looking around, and I, it's like I could look just at the geography of the place, and I could remember just transformational moments between me and God that happened in this place, and I've been in ministry long enough to know that churches are, they're full of broken people. And not everything's perfect in a church. And I've witnessed that, um, not just abroad, I've witnessed it here, I've witnessed it in other churches. All that to say, though, God is doing something special here. And I feel like I owe so much to this church and what God has done in this church. Uh, so it's a great honor and privilege for me to be up here. Um, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 4. While you're getting there, uh, it'll be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. But while you're getting there, I'll tell you a quick story. Took my boys to the park in England, and uh, we show up and we pray, Jesus, would you give us somebody to talk to about you? Something we pray a lot. But on this day, he actually gave us somebody to talk to. Uh, Sometimes we pray, we don't get to see anybody. But this day, this dad shows up and he has his two boys, and they're about the age of my two boys. Um, and we get to talking a little bit. We're talking about the U.S. and culture and stuff like that. And uh, eventually he asked me the dreaded question as a missionary, what do you do? And I just, I'm, I'm a pretty straightforward person. I was like, well, I work with Christian churches in the area. And so we started talking about his, like, his feelings on faith and God and Jesus. And we're talking through this. And he's being really polite. And I can tell in, in good British fashion, he's trying to lighten the conversation because it's getting a little serious. And what he said, he said, well, you have your work cut out for you. He said, because there's more hymns sung in the pub than in the churches. And I thought that's pretty funny, but also pretty um, an astute observation there. And it says a lot about the culture because I would say he's kind of right in a sense. What he's saying is that the songs of devotion are no longer in the houses of devotion. They've now joined the folk tunes. They've now joined just the songs that we sing of a history of a bygone era, something that's from the past, but it doesn't have any active power today. And that really is the state of people in England. They have a res- they, they do for the most part if they're... Um, if they're honest, they'll have some kind of respect for it because it's in their heritage. Uh, The incredible things that God has done in that country in the past is unbelievable. So they'll have some respect for it, um, but they they don't think you should take it too seriously because it's not a living and active thing. It's just tradition and heritage of a bygone era. Um, Now, when I tell those kinds of stories, when I talk about England, I often hear people 
in Texas and the U.S., and they'll say something like, well, we're on our way there. Um, And I would just say, just from living in both places, we're a lot closer than we think. Um, We're Just in the U.S., we're better at hiding it. Um, But we're a lot closer than we think. And a lot of times when people talk about that, they want to know, like, how do we... How do we keep from getting to that place, that place where this gospel, this powerful gospel just becomes a memory, history? Um, And just so you know, that's above my pay grade. But I think that this passage that we look at today will have something to say to us. So the context of this passage is that the Apostle Paul is writing to his young protege, Timothy, and he's writing this from prison, and he's saying, hey, I'm probably going to be killed, so he's in prison, he's, he's awaiting his death. And then at the same time, what we know about this letter is that in 1 Timothy, when he wrote to Timothy, he was telling him how to deal with a heresy. In 2 Timothy, he's basically saying, hey, I know that heresy has grown like a disease. And so he's writing at a time where he's at the end of his ministry, he's awaiting his death. He's writing to this young guy, Timothy, and he's dealing with this heresy that looks like it's growing and there's this mounting opposition in front of him. What can you do? And maybe you feel that, you feel like the, the tide, oh, I'm out. All right, I can keep going. I can keep yelling, but I know not everyone will be able to hear me. Oh, I'm back, okay. Um, maybe you feel like that, that the tide of secularism is coming and you're just wondering, what can, what can we do? What can we do? And so let's see what he says to Timothy and find out what it might say to us. So if you have your Bible, 2 Timothy, uh, we're actually starting in verse 5. All right, verse 5. This is how he starts. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, we can't speak to the nuances of what Timothy might be feeling. Uh, We know that he's gone through some kind of pain because Paul says that at the beginning of the letter, I've heard about your tears. And Paul's saying, I want you to come visit me. I want you to come see me. Um, And John Stott, the pastor and scholar, he argues that Timothy was in over his head. And I think that's something we can relate to. When we look at the cultural landscape and the problems we're dealing with, we feel a little like we're in over our head. So he's writing to Timothy, he's in over his head. And when he says, in, in the presence of all this opposition, in the presence of all these hard things that you can't handle, what does he say to him? Fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. That's his reminder. Fan to flame the gift of God that is in you. Now, what is the gift of God? Well, there's really two ways we can interpret it. He could be saying uh, the gift of God, meaning a gift that the Holy Spirit gave him, a spiritual gifting, could be his gifting for ministry or leadership. Could be that. Um, It also could just be speaking really generally about the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm inclined to think he's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit because he's talking about Lois and Eunice and his faith and this general faith. And we know that as followers of Jesus, whenever we follow Jesus, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, I've seen, I've seen your grandmother's faith. I've seen your mother's faith. I've seen your faith. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And so that could mean both, really. It could mean the gift of the Holy Spirit. It could mean his gifting for ministry, his particular gifting. Either way, he's saying, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Now fan it into flame. Put it to use. Years ago, um, years ago, 
when I lived in Corpus, because I was born in Corpus Christi, so I was like 10 or 11, so this is some years ago, um, but I was like 10 or 11, and I lived next door to this really cool family, and they had a pool, so they were very cool. We didn't have a pool. And they were kind enough to let us come over and swim in their pool a lot. And one day, I went over to swim in his pool, and Ted, um, he was really into spearfishing, and he played electric guitar. So again, the coolest guy on earth, right? And so um, I go over there, and I'm about to get in this pool, and I'm like throwing all the things into the pool to dive and like dive down deep and get them. And I mentioned in passing to him, because uh, I see his scuba gear, I was like, oh, I've never scuba dived before. And he's like, you want to try? And I was like, yes. And so he hooks me up with his scuba gear, and we threw tons of stuff in the pool for me to dive down and get it. And I sink down to the bottom of the pool, and I'm like, I'm getting all this stuff as fast as I can. I'm picking it all up. <clears throat> and then I realize I can't breathe. Um, I can't breathe, you know, and I, I start to panic. And then I realize, oh, wait, it's because you haven't tried to breathe, right? Um, because I was still swimming as if I didn't have a tank. I was still like, I'm still going down and acting as if I had no resources available to me. And I just had to take a breath. I was like, okay, I can do this. I can pick up these things. I can go. Now, the illustration is a little bit broken because the spirit isn't a tool. It's not an it. It's a person, something. He is a person that we have a relationship with. So it's a little broken in that regard. But in effect, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I've seen your faith. I've seen the tank on your back. I know what you got. He goes, fan the flame. Take a breath. Take all, everything in that God has for you. You know, if, if right now you're looking at your life and you're saying, I don't see, I'm a follower of Jesus and I don't see the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Here's two categories you should evaluate. This is from Francis Chan. And I thought this was really helpful. He, I think we have a slide. We have a slide? On comfort and volume. All right. So there's two categories you can evaluate if you're wondering, where's the Holy Spirit in my life? I'm a follower of Jesus. It says, evaluate your comfort and your volume. Volume, meaning, are you too busy? Um, is there no margin in your life to hear the voice of God, to wait on the voice of God? Are you like me? You, you go every day, you wake up, and you jump into the pool, and you try to do all the things, and you're trying to get all the things, and you're wondering, why can't I breathe? Because you have no margin in your life, and you're not sitting and waiting, from, and waiting on God. Or is it comfort? Um, is your life risk-free? Meaning, are you standing on the edge of the pool going, I don't get what the big deal is about this Holy Spirit? Because you've never put yourself in a place of dependence where you need God to show up. And I'll just say, as a born and raised Texan, uh, we would all like to say, it might, be, it might be the volume thing for you. You might be too busy. But most of us, we want to say, oh, yeah, I just need to create more margin in my life. I'm just so busy. I just need more time. I, I, I got to pull back. But for most of us, it's actually comfort. That's the big place where we need to show up for God. We need to get into places of dependence and wait on God and say, God, if you don't show up in this thing I'm about to do, this huge risk that I'm about to take, it's all going to fall apart. The biggest moments I've seen God show up in my life have not been just sitting in the quiet of my room. He does show up. But the places where I really see him show up is when I see my neighbor, and I go, this is going to be awkward. And I go, hey, how's it going? You know, I start talking to them, or I go across the schoolyard to invite somebody to dinner. It's at those moments I go, wow, God really provided. God really did something that I, I didn't expect, but he showed up in power. Have you, have you fallen into that place? Is your life too risk-free, or is your life too busy? Now, you, what you might be gathering 
is that whether it's in private or in public, whether it's about comfort or volume, the way that you fan to flame the gift of God that is in you is by forming dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Just dependence. Whether it's out and talking to people or whether it's in the privacy of your home, creating margin and time to hear from God saying, I can't move forward if you don't show up. And and in the face of great opposition and great strength and things that look like they're going to overcome us, the path forward isn't to muster up your strength and say, I'm going to go after this. I'm going to do my best. It's actually weakness, becoming soft to God and what he might do. Look at why he says this is why we should rely on this. It says, verse 7, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Power, love, and self-discipline. What Paul's saying is, hey, the reason, the reason that you need to rely on the Spirit is that the Spirit won't make you timid. And you can't be timid if you're facing opposition. He says, and if you have the Spirit of God in you, you will not be timid. We can think back through the book of Acts and all the different people that were filled with the Spirit and said they spoke, spoke boldly. Right? Peter and John before the courts, and they begin to proclaim the gospel, and they're amazed. The court's amazed because they go, wait, these guys are fishermen, right? Or, or Stephen, and he's literally being pummeled to death by stones, and he's still proclaiming the Son of God. It's in our DNA with the Holy Spirit in us that if we have the Holy Spirit, we will be bold and courageous. Um, you know, the thing is, I was thinking about, though, is that not many of us will ever confess or repent of timidity, or fear, because we veil it with nice words. We just say things like, I'm just being cautious. I'm just really being patient. I need to think this through. Let's be rational. Let's be respectable. Let's get a little bit more information before we act. Um, two years ago, when I was preparing to go to England, I was walking in Cameron Park, and I was asking God, hey, God, reveal anything to me that might be a hindrance when I go overseas, anything that might get in the way of the mission that you're calling me into. And I felt God speak to me, uh, just so you're clear, it wasn't audible, um, but I had this strong sense that God spoke to me. He said, Blake, too often you say you're being patient when you're really just being timid. And I knew it was God's voice because though I was convicted, I didn't feel condemned. I felt invited into something better. And before we move forward, just kind of ask that question, have you fallen into that trap, the trap of respectability that insulates you from a risk in your life? Where you just, yeah, you're being timid and there's no way around it. And I just want you to know, God invites you into more. Though you might be convicted, don't be condemned. He invites you into more. And this is what he invites you into, power, love, and self-discipline. Notice he he doesn't say boldness, which is what we've been talking about. He doesn't say courage, which is what we would expect. He says power, love, and self-discipline. It's as if he wants to spell out boldness and the kind of courage that we have. It's not that we just say, all right, let's get loud and let's get in there and let's make a noise. No, it's actually something different. It's power, love, and self-discipline. Just really quickly, what are those things? Power. that, yeah, we have power, so in the sense that we can overcome our timidity, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Also, it means that we speak with authority in the presence of opposition. Um, love, which means that 
And this power that we have, this authority that we have, it's not for ourselves, but it's guided in the course of love. It's usually for others, for the sake of others, laying down our lives for the sake of others. It also means with love that we're willing to endure the very worst, forgive the very worst. And then self-discipline, meaning with power and love, and these things that we're called into, having the wisdom to know when and how to act. Power, love, and self-discipline. All of these three things require dependence on the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, what happens is we see opposition and we say, all right, I can't be timid. And we, and we run out there, but we go without God's voice. We go without dependence on God's voice. And we know that it's a battle too great for us. So we clench our eyes shut and we wave our sword around and then we open our eyes and we wonder why everyone around us is hurting and we're hurting ourselves. It's because you weren't guided by God. The, the path forward, again, is it's not just greater strength and toughen up. It's to depend upon the Holy Spirit and he will give you the power, the love, and the self-discipline that you need to move forward. So the response to all this stuff is to fan the flame, the gift of God, the Holy Spirit within you, to speak with power and authority to a world in need of truth, to couple it and direct it in the course of love, dying to self for the sake of others, enduring and forgiving the very worst, exercise self-discipline, knowing when and how to respond to the moment that we're living in. And just so you know, all of this is impossible without God. It's all impossible without God. Last thing, verse eight. This is where he concludes. He says, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me as prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but now has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It's not where we thought it would end up, right? If we were following the trajectory of his argument, what we would have predicted, we, we probably would have thought it would end up somewhere else. He says, hey, I know you're struggling against this opposition. Uh, so fan to flame the gift of God that is in you. And we're like, yeah, okay, I got the gift of God in me. I got a fan to flame. And he says, and you'll receive power, love, and self-discipline. You're like, yes, yes. And he goes, so you can suffer. You're like, what? Suffer? I would have thought overcome, beat, win. But he doesn't say that. We know that Jesus will overcome, that Jesus has overcome, that one day the new heaven and new earth will arrive and everything will be made new. But he's saying, hey, in the face of opposition, I want you to receive these things so you will be willing to suffer. And I think that's, that's for a lot of us, that's where we stop. And we say, yeah, I want all of that, but I don't want the suffering. But if you're going to be soft to the voice of the Holy Spirit, sometimes you will be called into suffering. Are you willing to do that? Now, I'll say that if you, if you completely uh, just kind of let yourself to the Holy Spirit, you will be willing. He will fill you with what you need, and that's what he's saying. But a lot of us, um, we, we really just, we want to make sure our lives are comfortable, that we never do anything that makes us uncomfortable. But that's not what you're called to. You're called to something greater. A.W. Tozer 
um, he had this line that I remember I read like five years ago when we were taking a vacation in San Antonio and we were like eating chips and salsa. And I read this thing that like rocked my world. And Karen's like, can we just go through the vacation? And I was like, no, this is changing my world. You know, so here's this great line. And A.W. Tozer just rocked me when I read this. He said this, the flaming desire to be rid of every unholy thing and to put on the likeness of Christ at any cost is not often found among us. We expect to enter the everlasting kingdom of our Father and to sit down around the table with sages, saints, and martyrs, and through the grace of God, maybe we shall. Yes, maybe we shall. But for most of us, it would prove at first an embarrassing experience. Ours might be the silence of the untried soldier in the presence of hardened heroes who have fought the fight and won the victory and who have scars to prove that they were present when the battle was joined. I love that because he's not saying, hey, you, you got to suffer in order to, in order to enter eternity. He's not saying that. But that thought of when you sit at the table of God and you sit across the witnesses that have gone through the ages, that bear scars that they were present when the battle was joined and that we might carry the awkward silence of the untried soldier. I don't know about you, but I do not want to be an untried soldier. What Jesus did, like you have to, we always have to come back to like, what do we actually believe here? What we believe, and this is, this is earth shattering, this is paradigm altering, everything is crazy about this, but what we believe is that the son of God came, he was fully human, fully God, he lived and walked among us, he served us, and then he went to a cross and he took all of the death all of the pain, all of the sin, all of the brokenness of the world on himself. He crucified it, he put it to death, and then he rose in new life. And so now we can rise with him and we have this remnant on earth and he has sent his spirit into us. So as the new creation will one day come, we are now living out as his ambassadors, exercising his authority, bringing in this creation now. That is crazy. And if he has given us that kind of authority, if he has given us that kind of power, I don't want to be an untried soldier. I want to live for everything that God has for me, everything that he has. I want to fan to flame the gift of God that is in me. And I know that this is not the message that we would like to hear when we have a problem. We want something quick. We want some kind of quick solution or just give me the information. I think we have just become so hungry for just a quick, quick problem fix when the path forward is always dependence upon God. You know, I, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, man, when you look uh, not just at the books and uh, the Christian book industry, when you look at political pundits, when you look at all these things, it's like so many people are, also, are so bent on becoming a fortune teller and just predicting what's going to happen. And you know what? We need less fortune tellers and we need more fire keepers. We need more people to fan the flame within them. I got a minute left, so I'm going to do this. All right. I was thinking about that, and I was saying, man, fan the flame. That's it. We need more people keeping the flame. And I was thinking, is there a time in Scripture where we can see people keeping the flame? And you can in Leviticus 6. You can go check it out. But in Leviticus 6, um, there's the stipulations for the burnt offering. And so they would bring this offering before God in the Old Testament. And it was this burnt offering. And one of the stipulations that they had was to keep the fire burning. And the priest, every morning, would add logs to the fire. Now, there's a lot of reasons they, they did this theologically. We're not going to go into all of them. But one of them that struck me 
is that because whatever they brought forward to be consumed by the fire, they wanted to make sure the fire kept burning till everything was consumed. That everything that they had offered on the fire, that they kept it burning, so everything that had been offered was burned up. And you look at your life, and you say, I'm following Jesus, my life is a living sacrifice unto God. Keep the fire burning. Make sure that everything in your life that you have offered to God is consumed by his fire. Don't you want that? What this will take is this will take changing our schedules and our time. It will mean giving the best of our resources to God. I mean, when your mind is most awake, you should be waiting on God in that moment. When you do your best work, that's when you should be listening to God. It means taking risk. It means doing things where you might suffer, but you're willing to do that because you want everything that God has for you, that that is the only path forward. So I'm going to pray. Um, but as we respond, uh, please, uh, if God is saying something to you right now, don't just take this as like, all right, that's some good information. I'm going to chew on that. I'm going to formulate, don't be timid. But respond to what the Spirit is stirring up in you and say, I'm going to obey. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to obey. That might be going to somebody in this room, praying with them. It might be talking to a minister. Um, it might be reaching out to somebody that doesn't know Jesus today. Whatever it is, let's obey. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. God, forgive us when we quench it. Forgive us when we neglect the Holy Spirit, that he is, uh, he is such a gift. He's such a gift. And Lord, I pray that today that you would be moving in power. God, that you would be meeting people right where they're at. That they would know right now that, yeah, that the fire is not going to go out. Because you won't abandon them. But God, that you have so much more for them. Lord, I pray for just small acts of risk and obedience this next week, where they just see you show up in full and they go, well, I did not know God would do that in my life. But God, when we look at the world, we look at the complexity that we're dealing with, we just acknowledge that we don't have the skills. We don't have the insight. We don't have the knowledge. We don't have the power. We need you to live faithfully in this moment, whether that's speaking boldly or whether that's suffering faithfully. Lord, you come meet us now in this place. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.